I'm Brian Foster, and this is the Grindhouse Institute. On each episode of this podcast, Jeremy Floyd and I program a double or triple feature movie night. Each of the movies share common themes, and we discuss them here. Rap, you could join us for today's episode we call Rock, Opera, Horror, Picture Show. In the mid-1960s, music groups were beginning to toy with the idea of creating what would eventually be called the rock opera. These albums would include a collection of songs all related to a central plot and narrative. Albums by British psychedelic band Nirvana, The Who's Tommy, and Pretty Things' SF Sorrow were considered the first of their kind, but it wasn't until 1970, with Andrew Lloyd Webber's Jesus Christ Superstar, that the rock opera would be realized on the silver screen. Today we'll be taking a look at a trio of rock operas with a horror spin. An evil genius music producer is on the verge of opening the paradise the greatest rock palace the world has ever known, but his nefarious past is coming back to haunt him. Will he be able to overcome the mysterious phantoms meddling, or will he succumb to it? Paul Williams, Jessica Harper, and William Finley sing, dance, and star in Brian De Palma's Phantom of the Paradise from 1974. Newly engaged, Brad and Janet are on a romantic excursion that is cut short when their car breaks down during a heavy rainstorm. With nowhere else to turn but that creepy castle they passed a few miles back, the two enter a time warp and are transported to a twilight zone made up of B-movie tropes, two creepy servants, and one sweet transvestite from transsexual Transylvania. Barry Bostwick, Susan Sarandon, and Tim Curry sing, dance, and shiver with anticipation in Jim Sharman's The Rocky Horror Picture Show from 1975. In the not-too-distant future, the Earth is overwhelmed by a pandemic of organ failures. Seeing this as the next big cash grab, GeneCo rises as the top provider of internal organs at a very high price. Lease a new liver and can't keep up with your payments? GeneCo will send the repo man to collect. Anthony Head, Alexa Vega, and Paul Sorvino sprech kesang and star in Darren Lynn Boozman's Repo the Genetic Opera from 2008. Thank you for listening to the Grindhouse Institute. Please enjoy. He brought folk and rock together. His band, the Juicy Fruits, single-handedly gave birth to the nostalgia wave of the 70s. Now he is looking for the new sound of the spheres to inaugurate his own Xanadu, his own Disneyland. The Paradise, the ultimate rock palace. We've been sadly neglecting our YouTube for uh, channel for, for mm-hmm. quite a while. Uh, but uh, for those of you who were following us there, uh, we are finally kind of uh, getting back in gear on that one. And uh, we're going to be catching up with all the episodes we haven't put up yet, uh, putting up a bunch of stuff, um, a bunch of little uh, you know trailers and shorts and things like that. Um, as well as some of the other stuff we were doing previously, you know, putting in public domain movies and, and all that kind of fun stuff too. Um, so if you're not uh, following us on YouTube, definitely go check us out there. Um, the other thing is the way YouTube works, uh, we can't do quite as many clips as as we can do here on the old RSS feed. Um, so if it's the other way around and you're watching us on YouTube, you should, uh, follow the uncut episodes on audio only. Silence, 
All right, welcome back to the Grindhouse Institute. I'm Brian Foster, and with me as always is Jeremy Floyd. Hello, and how are you? Brian, we're traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of rock and of opera. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Man, that was sizzling. <laughs> we're talking rock operas today. Whether you like them or not, uh, they are here to stay. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of... It's not up to you. Yeah, it's really not up to you. They are they are here, and people are enjoying them. And uh, we're talking about three cult favorites today with Phantom of the Paradise, Rocky Horror Picture Show, and Repo, the genetic opera. Repo! Repo! Is this, was this the first time for all these for you, Jeremy? I believe for you said it was, all right? all three, yeah. exactly. Uh, and, you know, frankly, I had never even heard of Phantom of the Paradise before Jesse brought it up uh, a couple episodes back. Uh, so shout out to Jesse Hawkin for uh, turning me at least onto that one. It sounds like you had already you were already at least aware of it. I knew what it was, yeah. But and I knew I had seen Paul Williams, you know, pimp like uh, stature and face uh, in this movie <laughs> as much as what we we're in uh, Stone Cold Dead as well. Yeah. So in, in Stone Cold Dead, you know, that was shot. I mean, presumably what four five years later, uh, yeah. and um, part of the plot. Of Phantom of the Paradise was Paul Williams never aging, yeah. uh, and uh, boy, those those five years he aged a little bit there. Huh? <laughs> Poor guy. Well, I think the magic spell here, or the Faustian spell in yeah. Phantom of the Paradise, the, the was, blood was already gone. The blood right? pact had already, yeah, right, broken. <laughs> the contract that was like this big. <laughs> It's like a, a foot thick. But this was the first time I had seen this one, uh, Phantom of the Paradise. I mean, if you want to yeah. just get into them. Uh... Which opens with Rod Serling uh, narrating, which I, I was like, is that Rod Serling? What the hell? Crazy. Swan. <laughs> like, yeah. He has no other name. His past is a mystery, but his work is already a legend. It's like it was it was really odd because I, I thought that this one was like as I'm watching it, I'm like, oh, this is like, a, you know, they were trying to do stuff that Rocky Horror did, blah, blah, blah. Now, this came out before Rocky Horror. Yeah, this yeah. this set the template, I think, for the rock rock opera in in cinema. Yeah, I, it seems I think like it. it and did it come out the same year or did it come out before Tommy? Ah, OK. So 75 was Tommy. No, it was before no, that, too. Before that. Yeah, yeah, so <laughs> the, the one that we never heard of, uh, you know, set the stage for things yeah. like Tommy and Rocky Horror Picture Show, which are, you know, huge at this point, you know, or at least well known, yeah. um, especially with the Who being attached to Tommy and everyone, you know, singing and dancing to Rocky Horror Picture Show every midnight showing on Saturday <laughs> at the yeah. New Art. Um, but yeah, this one, I don't know, there was something about it. It felt really, really cool. It felt really... Uh, kind of edgy, very, very De Palma when he was trying to do, it seemed like at that time, a lot of the uh, whole giallo, like trying to bring over yeah. the Italian horror film to, to U.S. Right. audiences. Yeah, I mean, and, and it was, because I guess what, like the uh, gialli uh, movement, what started in the sort of mid-60s or something, and then, yeah, you know, I, but yeah, he um, yeah. definitely brought some of that... Uh, in in, his, in some of his seventies movies, I mean, like you know, Sisters maybe. Uh, did he uh, do Blowout? Carrie, you mentioned Carrie for uh, sure on another show. Yeah, he did Blowout exactly. Uh, that one had a lot of uh, you know shadowy type uh, imagery and things like that. Dress to Kill that was a hu- that was one oh, that yeah. used a lot of reflections and stuff right. that that Argento would use. Clearly, he had a 
out of focus bringing this stuff over here, but this one was odd, right? Like, cause this was an early one by De Palma and it doesn't feel like any of his other movies, maybe some visuals, but not anywhere near anywhere yeah. like some of his other movies. You know, I, I guess, you know, I don't know what this is. It is early, but it's, it's, I mean, he had done before se- several movies before this. It was before Carrie. Right. Before the, the Furies, before Dress to Kill. Yeah. Um, but uh, he had done Sisters, I guess, before this, um, and uh, you know, half a dozen other movies that uh, I- I'm not uh, familiar with. Never seen Sisters, but you know, it definitely had uh, that sort of giallo style to it, um, which I guess also kind of like ties into uh, the last Paul Williams movie we watched, uh, you know, Stone Cold Dead. Yeah, and the the sort of funky giallo-esque style there too um but what was interesting was that like i think when you had originally talked about doing this yeah we were talking about maybe doing tommy yeah uh but uh the other two are kind of in this uh you know sort of horror rock opera vein yeah and this one not only sort of predates tommy but also happened to be kind of in that that horror rock opera vein as well so i I think they all kind of work together really well i agree um i would say that you know repo probably stole a bunch of this stuff you know or was inspired by it (laughs) yeah Um, yeah. (laughs) and you know i would say that even rocky horror was inspired by this film there's a lot that's like either you reused or or highlighted a little bit that that feels like this movie or at least that this set the template for mostly around uh, you know, beef. I was about to say a, the beef, right, beef comes up out of nowhere, and all of a sudden you've got Rocky Horror in Rocky Horror, right. and it's like it's kind of the same character. And, right? and, and he was like assembled out of, out of different parts, Frankenstein, like the, if you will, yeah. or some sort of androidish. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah, some cyborg. <laughs> God, it, when, when he's getting uh, electrocuted on stage, and those like jump cuts and whatever, it's so fucking hilarious. <laughs> And and that actor too, uh, he he's great, uh, Garrett Graham. Yeah. Um, I like I know him um, best from Used Cars, but uh, God, what the hell else was he? And he was in something else that. But Adam I'm Ferberg sure. will bring up that he was in Star Trek quite a few times. Okay. Yep. Uh, <laughs> he was also uh, Jay Sherman's dad in The Critic. <laughs> the voice, his yeah. voice. You mean really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh-oh, son, hold very still. Ow! Did you get the bug? What bug? Yeah, he's he's had his, uh, he's been in quite a few things. Terror Vision, National Lampoon's Class Reunion, which I'm sure we've all seen. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it, it, it's just up there with, uh, you know, Christmas Vacation, right? <laughs> right, yeah. It's just a classic. Yeah. <laughs> Timeless. <laughs> and I don't know if you are uh, much of a... Uh, uh, Kiss fan, but there was a set piece in the middle of this movie where you know this band that that kept kind of showing up, the Juicy Fruits, had one of their the Coupe de set Vils. pieces uh, <laughs> as as like a band that looked so much like Kiss. But this is like you know this came out in 1974 before Kiss kind of blew up. So I, I don't know what the hell that it that means. Was it just something in the air? There was, some, I think, Paul Williams had more of a, of a, you know, a magical hand in in, in Hollywood with music and yeah. things. Yeah, <laughs> this is just a documentary, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, we're just learning about how he started the rock opera in, in, yeah. in cinema. 
Yeah. I mean, clearly, I mean, he wrote the whole thing. He, 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 he acts in it and he wrote every single song for it or whatever, you know, like, right. it's almost like he was this like incredibly interesting person and then shows up in like all these different movies. Well, Stone Cold Dead being one of those interesting movies I'm referring to because I haven't seen him in anything else, but I'm yeah. sure he's been in other things. And it's just like this odd career that, that we're getting, getting to see. The Muppet movie, right? Yeah. And he won an Oscar for that, I believe. Right. He, he wrote the, the, yeah. the score for that. I mean, that's yeah. impressive. Wow. Someday we'll find it, the rainbow connection, the lovers, the dreamers, and me. I guess, speaking of the Juicy Fruits, uh, did it strike you as odd that when, when we were first introduced to them, they were kind of a doo-wop uh, yeah, band? exactly. They all had um, uh, Fonzie sort of, uh, you know, greaser haircuts, and... At one point, there's like a sort of uh, talking part of the song where he, you know, is uh, making a direct plea to his love interest that he's he's uh, singing to. And while he's doing it, he's doing it in this very bizarre voice that sounded like Triumph, the insult comic dog. And it's like, it was very strange. For me to poop on. It was very for me to poop on. When a young singer dies, to our chalk and surprise, in a plane crash or a flashy sports car, he becomes quite well known, and the kindness he's shown has made more than one postmortem star. So I, did, I didn't realize that this was going to be kind of a Phantom of the Opera retelling, if you will, but also yeah. it had and, and well Dorian Gray, like you mentioned, uh, with Paul Williams not aging um, because right. of the picture or whatever that's sitting in his in his uh, office. Well, it was um, all the the videotapes, right? Or... Right. Sorry. Yeah. But sorry. Dorian Gray was the picture, right? Yeah, yeah. Same kind of <laughs> concept there. Um, and then... the videotapes of Dorian Gray. <laughs> I'd like to see some of that footage. Yeah. yeah. They were. It was right in the middle of making it. <laughs> so Swan, I, I I guess he's he's more of more or less the devil or uh, a, a lieutenant of the devil in this. I. What did you get out of his character uh, as the villain? You know, not aging, soul to soul. Yeah, I, I guess so, because he was, you know, talking to himself in the mirror, and uh, th- that version of himself uh, possessed, maybe, uh, got him to sign a contract. Uh, oh, don't worry, we don't need to use ink. Just go ahead and use some blood. Just some blood. No one no one <laughs> thinks twice about that either in these kinds of stories. Yeah. These Faustian stories. Yeah, I, I love how no one did. I mean, it, it, like, <laughs> not... Uh, not not Winslow Leach and uh, not not Jessica Harper like no one like it's like yep that makes sense <laughs> since I already cut my finger anyway I might as well sign with that <laughs> yeah exactly I don't have a pen Winslow Leach what a, what an interesting uh, interesting looking person this was huh this uh, William yeah. Finley right yeah uh, looks like he was in a, quite a few or some movies after this Sisters being one of them uh, De Palma's movie okay that well then that was before uh, this one but yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just interesting that I wonder what sort of uh, musical background he actually has, if he is like a song and dance man, because he he's, he performs in it pretty well. I mean, like there's some yeah. interesting performances well, I, by him. I wasn't familiar with him, so I no. I kind of just figured that you know he was like Paul Williams or something like from right musical background. Out of place is a crying clown who could only frown, and the play went on for hours. As I live my role, I swore I'd sell my soul for one love. Well, he, here, here's a big one. So when, when kind of digging through rock operas, 
what's going to kind of make or break it is, you know, not necessarily the, uh, you know, Gialli color schemes or, you know, is the, the insane, extremely grainy, you know, 10 millimeter uh, wide angle lenses and stuff that they had on this. And, you know, some of the, the, the funky voice box and, and whatever he's got, um, you know, it's the music, right? It, it's it's going to be the music, and yeah. and it's like you're you're going to sort of live or die off that. And like if yeah. if um, the music isn't working, then all the rest of it doesn't matter, and vice versa. If the music's working, then you know some of the funky style, you you're going to have a lot more uh, more leeway on. And and this one, it was it was wild because like for me, it didn't start off uh, being the most exciting music uh, when we were first, you know, starting with early Winslow Leach uh, uh, material um, and he's sort of you know playing it on his harpsichord or whatever that was yeah and uh, uh, Winslow Lurch and um, you know I, I you know the first Juicy Fruits song was pretty good but like yeah um, it, it wasn't like blowing me away wanting to sing along with it uh, type of good but when the Phantom finally uh, forces uh, Jessica Harper Phoenix. to to you know be kicked out on and like you know pushed out on stage and 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 just do this crazy song you know it was it was pretty rocking and uh you know I was, I was definitely into it at that point and you know from then on I, I the music was really really strong yeah I feel like there was a ramp up in this one and then I feel like in Rocky Horror it starts at like it's it's peak and then it kind of fizzles out <laughs> near the end yeah it works, it works its way down there's just bangers in Rocky Horror like it starts out with like yeah. three amazing songs that everyone knows <laughs> and then it just kind of like eh, you get the meatloaf later on but we can get there we'll yeah get there. we'll get there when we get there yeah exactly <laughs> Yeah, Jessica Harper, also a uh, Giallo uh, reference there, or um, right, or vice versa, right? Because wasn't right. she in Suspiria after? Yes, Suspiria the Paradise seventy seven or something. So was Argento inspired by De Palma? God damn it! This movie might be the most important <laughs> movie we ever talked about on this show. We don't even know it. Yeah, seventy seven was Suspiria. Yeah, it was yeah. after. So she yeah. wasn't. Uh, she wasn't even known as the as the. I don't know damsel in distress in that movie or the hero in that movie. I don't know what she was. She definitely wasn't doing well, but she was being chased down by witches. (laughs) I think that's what that movie's about. Witch, uh, yeah. Fodder. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. You, you tell me what that movie's about. Um, (laughs) but it's funny, you know, this movie, um, in terms of being a, uh, a rock opera horror show, it's kind of like on low simmer uh, of the horror. Mm-hmm. Through maybe, maybe most of it, but that sort of that final scene when we get to this the, the wedding and all that, like it, yeah. it cranks it up pretty hard. Full horror, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess the visual of the of the Phantom uh, or Winslow when he's you know got the bird mask on and the uh-huh. the metal teeth that <laughs> yeah. were removed in Sing Sing to <laughs> avoid any sort of bacterial transmission. I guess was no, the, it was like you know they're just you know doing you know uh, Nazi science experiments on right. him, like it's like. Yeah, human experiments. It was funny because they described that experiment, and then they're like, funded by the Swan Corporation. <laughs> so Swan had a hand in everything, right, this producer. Right, right, right. So I, I, I was wondering about that, too. You know, you're talking about the uh, um, the first music group, and I'm, I'm blanking on the name already. Juicy Fruits? 
the juicy fruits, and they kept changing into different groups throughout, right? Right. Like it was the same three, uh, you know, main people, and then you know, like, like rebranding them. It was like Swan's, like his uh, cronies, right? And he would just kind of turn them into whatever is was popular at the time to get them to make hit records or hit, yeah. hit music, right? I mean, I I kind of interpret that as you know, as them being you know. Yeah, uh, under his uh, his yeah. you know, two and a half foot thick uh, c- you know blood contract uh, and uh, they all signed yeah yeah they all signed and so they had to go from you know greasers to then you know surf uh, rock uh, with, with a bomb in the trunk to you know sort of the the goth um, yeah sort of, I don't know metal or like early metal or early metal like you know the, the early hard rock like the mm-hmm. the Kiss slash uh, Alice Cooper. Oh sure, uh, yeah. You know, you know, sort of like you know, on uh, stage uh, horror, biting uh, heads off of bats yeah. and <laughs> persona, and the whole yeah, business. yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was all—it's all very theatrical, and and uh, it kind of reminded me of like how bands were around that time, like you said, like Alice Cooper and and Ozzy and things. They were like yeah, big stage shows. They were like rock operas when they did their their shows, and it's yeah. like this all <laughs> translated to to film at this you, time. You, you saying that reminds me of. Uh, or like it, it called to mind the image of uh, like the Stonehenge from Spinal Tap. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> like, he wrote it on a napkin. He he wrote inches instead of feet or whatever. <laughs> it was this tiny Stonehenge. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> so good. Oh my god, it's hilarious. <laughs> That's what you get for uh, doing a napkin contract. I do not, for one, think that the problem was that the band was down. I think that the problem may have been that there was a Stonehenge monument on the stage that was in danger of being crushed by a dwarf. So your, your take on this movie was uh, good, good songs at more at the end then. You thought, you thought that this one kind of ended with a, with a big finale that uh, made it a little more satisfying. Would that, would that be accurate? I think so. Like, when they started to get rolling on the paradise and all the sort of warm-ups to it, the sort of, you know, first couple of uh, performances, uh, all that stuff, I... That was uh, where I was really kind of hooked into it. Um, yeah, I think uh, it started off a little slow for me, just in terms of hey, we're talking about the music here, or I think both. I mean that the music is the driver, right? And yeah, yeah. I I mean, I loved all the little uh, <laughs> I don't know trials and tribulations. The uh, poor Winslow Leach character got uh, awful. You know, it was like drowned. the Toxic Avenger, man. Yeah, yeah. he was like getting blown. You know, literally, he got the <laughs> yeah. one eye too. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and it was like uh you know just just getting uh ground into dirt uh by swan and that his creepy uh sidekick and, and oh that guy else. was the fucking worst right <laughs> yeah exactly there were shots of him full of rooms of women and him just jumping on top I of know. these women oh as the doors God. are closing i was like yeah, this I is know. the most insane thing i've ever seen yeah you know, it just seems like yesterday I found the net in that church choir. I got a singing lessons. I taught her how to dress. I got her a first club job, and I paid off a columnist. He did a beautiful story on her. I taught her who to be nice to, who to <laughs> fed her the drugs to get her through the road tours. I made her record a hit. So, you know, he, Winslow was was definitely getting uh, getting, getting run through the, the, the gauntlet here. Um, yeah. and, and some of that was... Uh, was pretty engaging but I, I think you know when he 
we were listening to his music at first. I I wasn't quite as into it uh, until you know they started bringing in the the bigger orchestras and and kind right. of um, you know letting Jessica Harper belt a few of them and uh, even the the insane singing voice that Beef had uh, <laughs> you know <laughs> kind of kind of brought something to it as well. I I was, I was definitely into that. You know the uh, I don't know what the, the sort of uh, fruity stereotype uh, character that uh, Garrett Graham was doing w- was a little much uh, for me. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, overall, I, I really enjoyed the, all the beef stuff. Uh, you know, especially you know him trying to get the hell out of there. Oh, <laughs> it's him, haunted. <laughs> him, him getting uh, you know scared with the uh, the psycho shower scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then he's like, "Up, oh, screw this! I'm out of here," and uh, and then he gets you know muscled back into it, and then he gets uh, you know jump cut, electrocuted to death, and uh, one of the funniest uh, elect- electrocutions on on screen. And I think that that was the that was the second time that the the Phantom, or he's now the Phantom Winslow. Um, that's the second time he tried to sabotage one of the the stage performances. One of them being with the the, bomb, um, the right? first group, right? But he he blew yeah. them up or almost blew them up. Yeah, that was <laughs> pretty nasty. Oh, yeah, that was a good one with like a, a split screen. Yes, uh, exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah, there were a lot of interesting uh, interesting choices visually in this. The split screen was was really cool because you could you'd follow him Winslow like working getting the bomb behind the scenes, and then you would just barely see him in the other shot, kind of coming behind. Uh, the yeah. stage there it was it was pretty neat i well, must have done it in real time well that's what i was about to say is like unlike you know some other exciting cinematic split screens um you know uh rules of attraction with, with the, the way it kind yes. of ends which is insane or i mean e- even the the jackie brown split screen which was done to a cool effect um was that at know, the end of the film uh that was when um Essentially, uh, Samuel L. Jackson goes over to kill Pam Greer, and you know we are learning in the in the split screen that she stole uh, Robert Forrester's gun. Um, yes, and, he, yes, he goes in the glove. Yes, yeah, totally. yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, oh, loved it. And you know, in in Narc, they they do uh, this fun split screen one where um, you know it, it's mm. essentially like like an interrogation, but it's like you know they're they're kind of knocking on all the doors uh, around Detroit, trying to figure something out. And when we see it all kind of being fast forwarded through it in a split screen, but what all of those examples I just laid out had, which this one um, didn't was that those split screens were very cutty. So, you know, left side of the screen, right side of the screen, you know, the, the cuts were happening at different paces. This one, I mean, you know, may have to go back and check but it it felt like at least the vast majority of it was timed at the exact same time we were just you know had or the intention was to make it look like that right uh, yeah i mean yeah it if it was single camera it was pretty masterful because there were a couple moments where it was like you know i don't think so i they had to have done that simultaneously some of the extras head turns and like the you know right it was happening at the exact same time it, it just you know it definitely felt like an a and b cam you know right yeah. at the same time situation but um anyway it 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 was done really well so it was like this you know sequence in the middle of it as as this oneer uh right. but as a split screen and yeah you know played on this this tension of like you know one of the models or whatever who was supposed to sit on the back of this stage car 
has been pushed across the stage. It's supposed to look like a, a beach scene. And she's like, oh, I keep hearing this ticking. I keep hearing this ticking. And it's like maybe <laughs> a, some sort of reference to, uh, to the opening Touch of Evil or something. But anyway, you know, and, and then like the, the creepy, uh, you know, Weinstein-esque, uh, you know, bag man who worked for uh, Paul Williams was like, get back up there. And, you know, yelling at her. And, you know, so we're, we're getting more and more tense as, as the, uh, the, you know, the bomb is supposed to be, uh, you know, counting down. Anyway, it, it, it was, it was the, all the madness and all the extras and all the stuff. I mean, it was, it was played really, really well. Yeah, I agree. I mean, so as a, as a set piece, it was, it was pretty exciting. And, and they also managed to do something, you know, fairly fresh feeling, even in light of, you know, some multi-million dollar things that happened, you know, 20-ish years later with things like Rules of Attraction and, and whatever. Um, they did it more impressive in 1974 with, uh, with Fan of the Paradise. Oh, funny was it when the phantom decides uh you know in in the last like whatever that is 20 minutes to to just uh throw in the towel and he goes to kill himself and uh you know it it doesn't work because he's under this curse and this this contract doesn't let him go and so maybe that's why the juicy fruits can live on for you know 20 30 years and not age much like paul williams doesn't age um but when he does it you know, we get a a hot orange spurt of 3M stage blood uh, <laughs> jumping out of his uh, chest there. Oh, yeah. Speaking God, of Gialli, uh, yeah, <laughs> style. That's clearly just, like, one of my favorite things to see in these, these old 70s movies. <laughs> yeah. Is that all they had? Was that, that, I, was that the yeah. only blood they had? I mean, because everything comes up orange around that time. Right, right. I mean, yeah, I, I have no idea, actually. I mean, but I... I, I feel like there were there was some consideration for that on a story I heard about Taxi Driver where it's like oh they you know to avoid the X rating they had to use some you know funny thicker not quite as red or or crimson blood. Is it pretty orange in, in Taxi Driver too? I I feel like uh, at, at certain moments, particularly at the uh, at the end there. Yeah, when it's red paint everywhere <laughs> yeah. when when Blows he's painting the apartment with people. Yeah. Yeah. Slow, what a foolish thing to do. Didn't you read your contract closely? See what it says, terms of agreement. Can you read what it says? This contract terminates with Swan. No more suicides, Winslow. You gave up your right to rest in peace when you signed this contract. Yeah, I guess uh, even though this movie ends great, uh, Phantom of the Paradise, it doesn't end like Taxi Driver does, or at least that strong, but still pretty strong ending. (laughs) Are are you saying that this isn't a a, a five-star classic (laughs) that everyone talks about all the time, like uh, Taxi Driver? You never heard of it. (laughs) I never heard of it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I I guess, hey, before we wrap on phantom i guess uh we have to go through uh and you you give me your musical impressions on this one yeah no i i completely agree with you i don't feel like it's got the memorable uh tracks that rocky horror has or that Uh has had since it came out um but i think that there's still some interesting stuff in it i did like the the doo-wop at the beginning i thought that that opening number was awesome i thought that the choreography of that number was awesome i thought it really felt like an old um uh, an old 
uh, television, uh, like variety show, you know, I think that they really nailed that, that feel from the fifties. Yeah. Um, and everything else. Yeah. kind of fizzled out a little bit. Um, some of William Finley just kind of mouthing his cantata, uh, you know, just speaking his cantata a little bit at the beginning. Although I liked the story behind it. Um, you know, if you're familiar with a lot of these stories, you know, selling your soul to the devil, he kind of goes through and, and describes a lot of that. And I, yeah. I, I really like that about these kinds of movies when there's like a, a title track that kind of gives you the whole um, kind of construct of the movie or what you're about to see. I think Rocky Horror does that as well with the, you know, Mr. X building a creature, the lips singing at the beginning, and yeah. you know, kind of sets you <laughs> up for what this is going to be. And, and this one kind of did that too. Um, but this one felt like more of a movie uh, that you'd have to kind of pay attention to um, because... Man, the right. beginning of this flips through everything. Like he's in prison, he's out of prison, he's tortured, he becomes the phantom, and it's like cut, 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 cut at one point, and it's yeah. like madness. So, you know, outside of that, I think that there's, you know, it's a good movie. Like you can you can follow it fine, but there are points of it you're just like, okay, maybe I got to pause here, maybe I got to <laughs> slow down because I just missed something. And when Paul Williams pulls off his Daft Punk helmet and reveals he's the incredible melting man underneath there. Uh, it was, it was, it was, you mean William horrifying. Finley? No, no. Oh, 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 oh. Paul, when, Paul they, Williams, when you see, when you he, see he the, like uh, grotesque the underneath there. Yeah. It's like... <laughs> Clay face. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah kind of reminded me of, uh, the, uh, what was that? The tales of terror of Vincent Price when he melts at the end of yes. the, the one segment. Yes, 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 yes. That's funny. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, no, that was, uh, I, I actually, I, I kind of liked that. And it was neat to see the two, um, you know, uh, William Finley and Paul Williams battling it out. And they're just two, like, grotesque monsters battling it, you know, right. kind of, I don't know. It just gave me that, like, kaiju kind of thing. Well, and, and they're kind of winding down because, you know, the, the spell had been lifted and now they can die. And yeah, they were already. Now they can get hurt. And now they're on their way to, to die anyway because they'd tried to kill each other, killed themselves earlier. And anyway. then they end up killing each other which yeah so i i guess what it is is like the plot in this one is very complicated (laughs) for a rock opera right and and perhaps uh that maybe lends it to to like either you have to love it the way you love a rocky horror and watch it all the time and and then and finally get it on the the sixth or seventh viewing uh because yeah some of the details kind of you know stuck and some of them kind of bounced right off because i don't I, i feel like i don't remember all of it, and I feel like I, I mean I just watched it the other day. I think that brings up a good point about the rock opera. It needs to be a repeat viewing kind of thing. It's almost like listening to an album. It's like you need mm. to hear the songs over and over again, or you can hear the soundtrack and still get the story if you listen to the music itself. But yeah, you're right. Rocky Horror. First time I saw Rocky Horror, I didn't know what the hell was going on. <laughs> I kind of get it now. You know, I've seen it five or six times now. I kind of yeah. get it now. Let's let's go on to Rocky Horror. Yeah, as your first time, what what do you think of this movie is about? <laughs> well, I I well, it, it really threw me for a loop at the end there. But I I, I thought I was uh, <laughs> I thought I was following it. Uh, it you know they, they you know Susan Sarandon and uh, the other guy uh, Brad had. Uh, Damn it, Janet. <laughs> Janet. Uh, Barry had, Bostwick had, had kind of like fallen into uh, you know. Uh, you know, the, the Twilight Zone or something, and, and you know, just like yeah. rounded to the corner, and oh no, there's the Adams Family Mansion, and 
they're having to, to deal with this, uh, you know, uh, kind of gothic adjacent universal classic monster inspired, uh, you know, group of uh, extremely horny, uh, you know, theater students. And, uh, you know, they are constantly, you know, having a lot of fun uh, doing various song and dances uh, when nobody's watching. And, um, right. And then, uh, you know, Tim Curry goes around seducing everyone when, uh, when he thinks no one's watching except for the security cameras. And, and that's the logline that Igor. we're going to use when we're yeah. describing the, this movie in our intro. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think you got that's, it. Let's write down the, the more concise version of that. But then it turns out they're aliens. I don't know. Lost yeah, they, the they were there. hinting at that from the beginning, though. They kind of said, you know, what about these earthlings? Ah, people. You know, they made stupid little I, references I, like that. I, I mean, I clocked that, but I, I feel like that was that was that was toward the end. It, uh, it, probably with, last quarter, yeah. Right before they introduced the. Professor X or whatever he was, the Dr. Everett V. Scott. Wasn't that odd, that that character? Like, it kind of was totally oh, yeah. out of place, that, that person. Yeah. And they were, like, a, an important piece of the story. Somehow. Yeah. This is why I think that movie kind of fizzles out by the end. Right. It, it, it It's almost like they were writing it on the, on the fly. Well, the, the um, stumbling sort of face first into the, the Twilight Zone, Adam's family... Uh, mansion oh no how do we get down this road and how do we miss that castle a few miles back and there was a castle back there a yeah castle <laughs> brad yeah, yeah. huh yeah. <laughs> it, it's all within the same sort of um you know uh b-movie uh milieu um but it it felt like we were in one b-movie and then they decided to switch gears very abruptly and uh, riffraff the igor guy just decided to uh drop the act that he was you know the supplicating servant. uh servant and right. rather he's the uh he, he's the alien the overlord alpha alien that uh, is gonna zap him with the trident with the brand new hairdo and also the person that was with him um oh yeah she turns into uh bride of frankenstein there right right yeah exactly <laughs> it's just a jump to the left what an odd movie um but it, it kind of i i feel like this is like i said before this one opens up with some of those big hits you know um science fiction double features like the very first one with the the lips that are singing that kind of give you the oh, yeah, the yeah, breakdown yeah. of the movie or the story that you're about to see, even though it's a little bit off. Um, and then, damn it, Janet, that's a really fun one too. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, is you know, you said that they kind of fell down into the Twilight Zone, but if you watch again the wedding that they're at at the beginning, their friend's wedding, Tim Curry Tim is Curry's, the officiant. Yeah, exactly. And riffraff. Is there as well it, as like the uh, American Gothic? Uh, yes, uh, and like farmers like or the whatever. American Gothic, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I clocked that. It was just that, um, like, presumably they were not in the Twilight Zone, uh, or, or, or to their perspective, that they, they hadn't got fallen into it yet. And then, like, right. the, the very next scene, they're they're sort of driving at night, and the road is inexplicably closed. So how did that motorcycle come if the road was closed? 
oh well let's let's walk back to that castle you know yeah. <laughs> and and you know it it sort of took on this um very unreal uh feeling at, you know at that time even though it, they probably were in the twilight zone you know from page one like you said yeah exactly I don't think they got f- too deep into the zone though until they yeah. actually entered the castle and they were doing the time warp with with riffraff. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, and then Meatloaf shows up and things get right. real wild. Maybe unlike Phantom of the Paradise, um, they get away with a lot of that stuff in this one. Because the Tim Curry performance is just, you know, it's it's legendary. It's sort of out of this yeah. world. Uh, no, not legend, but legendary. And, uh, <laughs> you know, he really brings it to this next level that, you know, even if they had um, sort of everything written the same way, but uh, not performed at that level, uh, you know, the, the movie would, would just kind of lie there. Uh, and, and because of that, there's a sort of electric... Uh, you know, spark that goes through the whole thing because of what he brought to it. And I think, um, you know, unfortunately, Fan of the Paradise didn't really have that same level of, you know, just shock and awe of, uh, of a performance. Yeah, I agree. Despite having some, some good songs and everything else. And then, you know, also his introductory song. I think when they get there, the sort of uh, werewolf bar mitzvah is like still going on and people are, are, are hanging out and having a song. But then he bursts in and does his, you know, uh, transvestite, transsexual from the planet, Transylvania, that whole thing, yeah. um, you know, and it and it's just like such an awesome song, like, awesome you know, song, yeah. yeah that yeah. one's a, that one's that one goes on in the car a lot, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't get strung out by the way I look. Don't judge a book by its cover. I'm not much of a man. Yeah, it, it was wild. And here's a funny aside. So that was the first time we meet him, and then, you know, they, you know, ride that elevator upstairs. Uh, to the next piece of the lab where they're about to resurrect the Paul Bettany mummy guy uh, who has <laughs> a lot of horror. muscles, uh, you know, Mr. Rocky himself. Mm-hmm. Part of the thing that helps revive him is, you know, uh, this crazy device that comes down from the sky. It's, you know, very uh, Dr. Frankenstein looking device. And, you know, out of it, you know, it's like um, these, uh, you know, artificial, you know, uh, cow udders and they're just like you know milking yeah. these different co- co- uh, different colors into this vat and when it's all done the vat has these different layers you know like in, it's like in, the oil not mixing together right and yeah. and it you know it sort of you know even stains the glass and it, it's like there later and and it's in a rainbow right mm-hmm. uh but apparently this movie predates the rainbow, the rainbow flag, flag. Uh, as a, no kidding. A, a, a gay pride uh, symbol. Like, at that time, it was the sort of pink triangle that he has on his lab coat as a gay pride thing. Um, 
you know, I <laughs> it's, it, was, it was pretty surprising to me. But uh, I I wonder, like, if is that just a coincidence? Uh, was that uh, yeah, you right? Know, you know, something that uh, you know helped inspire some of that, or was it just uh, also something in the uh, in in the in the sort of zeitgeist there about uh, the different colors of the rainbow there? Who knows? Right. But I thought that was I always that was thought wild. that that was something that had been around for uh, forever, at least before the seventies. Yeah, uh, apparently not. Apparently it was like the late seventies, like like seventy eight or seventy nine, that, that became wow. a thing. So there you go. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. <laughs> It'd be interesting to uh, yeah find someone who knows a lot more about it. But I I I kind of glommed that uh, from the Wikipedia thing. Right. But how funny was Meatloaf inter- interrupting? Their uh, their sort of like chase around the laboratory, trying uh, to find Rocky. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he, yeah, like, and then he, they like mercy kill him in like off camera. Right. Like, he was like a dog. Yeah. Like, <laughs> right. I, I had the he come, <laughs> Frankenfurter comes out all all bloody. Yeah, yeah. He's just like, what would you do? Oh, I had to put him down. You know, it was like it was yeah. a mercy killing. It's like what the yeah. <laughs> he just sang a sang a really badass song though, yeah. and it's yeah. meatloaf. Yeah. yeah, he'd do anything for love. He would, uh, and he came out like a bat out of hell on that motorcycle. Exactly, there. but I won't do that. <laughs> did, did he have a review of the shitty Beatles uh, when he was? <laughs> <laughs> they suck. Also, not just a clever name. <laughs> hey, Tiny, who's playing tonight? Jolly Green Giants, shitty Beatles. The shitty Beatles are they any good? They suck. But it's not just a clever name. But but how, how much did he kind of remind you of the sort of uh, when it, he was one of the rejects of the Juicy Fruits? Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, in this one, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, because he had that like cut off denim, uh, yeah. ripped denim thing. It was looked very greaserish. Yeah, he even yeah. had his hair kind of greasered back. Right. Well, I, and, yeah. and it was this, I guess, brackish area between the sort of whatever rock and roll and maybe a, a more of a hard rock that came out in sort of the late 70s, and, like, there was still a little bit of a transition there from, you know, um, it's like you, you go, you know, doo-wop, and then, you know, kind of the, the sort of uh, British invasion sound, yeah. and then you finally get into the hard rock a little later on. And both these movies kind of, you know, explored bridging that gap a little bit with that, that greaser thing. So, I mean, like, what what... what... Were they just looking at like kind of like a you know like a, a, a tribute or a celebration of uh, music as it went you know through the years? Yeah, or or you know specifically I guess rock and in both these cases, right? It's like in, in both Phantom and um, Rocky Horror, um, you know the sort of earlier versions or you know the the the, the pre-rock uh, uh, you know kind of Buddy Holly style rock uh, on through to, to to where it was in the sort of early to mid-70s there. So, are we supposed to forgive Janet uh, and Craig, right, or Brad, sorry, Brad. Janet and Brad for both cheating on each other with Frankenfurter 
you know, minutes after he yeah. had been with the other one. Right. Because they're in this twilight zone, is that why we're supposed to be okay with them as, you know, or are we just supposed maybe, to Maybe, like, or, or maybe there wasn't any... This is a horny world that we're in, right? Maybe yeah. there wasn't any free will. Uh, it was a very Dracula right. hypnotism thing, you know, who knows? Yeah, but they they were fighting it right at first, but, like, but no, he would just no. jump in yes. with them. It was... It was... It was, I didn't see you playing with your dolls again. <laughs> Kiss me. No, no, yes, no, no, yes, no, yes. Oh, 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 your helmet is so big. Art helmet, what? You need it on the bridge, sir. Knock next time, knock. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think yeah, I think that's exactly right. There, it's just like it's the world that they're in, right? Or it, this, they're in a totally different world, and you find out at the end of the movie, you're not in a world. They're they're not yeah. in a castle. They're in a fucking spaceship. <laughs> right, right. Like that's yeah. that's kind of where I get the idea that they were just writing this as they were going. They were just like, ah, yeah, great song, great song, great song. How do we end this? They're aliens. Mm, go. How about aliens? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fuck it. And then how do we get rid of him? Ah, we'll just send the whole castle up into the sky, you know? Like, and that's kind of I, I think the ended. lips will sing us off. You know, something. I, I think we got a movie there. I still get confused. Are Brad and Janet, uh, like, uh, Frankensteins by the end of it? Or, like, you yeah, know, Frankenstein's monsters Are they, are they stuck in the sort it? of Bubsy Berkeley pool thing? Yeah. Because that was the right. last thing. It was, it was the, it was the R, there was the RKO stage, and then the... Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I was a little... Uh, I started to get lost in some of the uh, the plot there. Um, he turned them into statues at one point. They're right. unfrozen. Right, right. Uh, again, I, I've seen this so many times, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> and I, you know, I tried to watch it a couple times for this, too, just to get you know really familiarized. And then I, you know, I still lose my train of thought when I get to the end. I, am I, I must just check out or something because I'm like, I didn't follow that again. It can't be my fault yeah. five times in a row, right? Like, maybe, I'm actually pretty good at understanding movies sometimes. Yeah, or, or maybe you need to like just fast forward past all the music and, and get to the <laughs> get to the talking bits. Past this part, past yeah. this. In <laughs> yeah. fact, never play this again. Yeah, yeah. They kill some, but I thought you liked them. They like you. They didn't like me. They never liked me. I, I was a little lost at the end there. I, I, I kind of figured maybe, uh, you know, I have to watch it a few more times, but but apparently not. Or maybe it's, maybe when we once you get past six and seven, then all of a sudden it starts maybe to make sense. Maybe it doesn't sense. matter. Yeah. Maybe we're questioning something that doesn't even fucking matter. Well, I I would have to say like, okay, so in, in the first maybe 15 minutes or so before they get into the castle, I was starting to question, I was like, geez, this is the movie that is this insane cult classic that you know people watch every weekend and they, they go crazy over because it's you know it's it's so uh you know add at one point it's like you know we got this wedding we didn't have the damn it janet song and then we cut to blowfield uh you know it's it, god knows where and just and it's a step to the left <laughs> yes exactly and then he comes back to like just every once in a while with a star wipe and you know and then he <laughs> He has quite a bit of in that one song, just the step to the left, but yeah. So I it was it was uh, I I was like, man, what the fuck is going on? And then you know, uh, w- w- once we sort of get to the the castle, you know, step to the left w- w- was pretty engaging too. Um, and then all of a sudden it's Tim Curry, and for a a good hour there, it, it was it was pretty solid. 
And then, you know, I start getting lost again with some of the Dr. Scott and the turning to stone and then, you know, the the, yeah, exactly. the, uh, the, the plan nine from outer space uh, at the end there. But again, you had to enjoy it. Right. And and it's like yeah. the, these are the kind of movies that, um, you know, if they're they're on TV, if they just show up out of nowhere or if you're asked to go to some midnight showing, yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't mind going to see this kind of thing. Right. Because it clearly it's a lot of fun. And like you said, the beginning of it's kind of ADD. And I'm sure that's the time that, you know, people are, they go to the movies, they go to see this thing, they're going to get drinks this whole time until you get to the castle. And then everyone's in their seats or right around their seats, yeah. dancing and singing to every single song that's on the track list, you know? And it's like, right, exactly. I don't know. It's kind of set up as if you're supposed to go see it. You know, it's not really like one of those at home viewers. That's this true. is really like one of those, like, you got to go see. Rocky right, Horror. right. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. This is yeah. definitely a movie that uh, should never be played at home type of thing. And, uh, you know, should only be watched. Yeah, uh, it- with a crowd. I finally got to see Rocky Horror Picture Show. Uh, I I so wish I could have gone to catch it at the New Art, uh, especially uh, being you know having to have been uh, marked with the letter V on my forehead uh, watching it. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, that my uh, plans spy, uh, conspired against me, and I, I wasn't able to do it. But uh, we'll you make know that happen though. Yeah, perhaps we'll uh, we'll get down there one of these days. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that that's anything that's going away anytime soon. I feel like this is <laughs> yeah, like, this is the cultiest of cult classics, yeah, exactly. right? Like this is this is kind of putting the definition. If you look up cult classic, like this is the best example you could get of that, right? Uh, probably a shitty box office or a shitty critical review right when it came out. Yeah, and all of a sudden this thing just blew up later on. You know, just from repeat viewings and, and small screenings, right? And I wonder, if, you know, it's like, yeah, it's exactly like second run theaters or, or whatever. Yeah. And then like Grindhouses. revival houses, grand houses, things like that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's it's wild. The, the new art uh, still plays it just every Saturday night. It's crazy. That's awesome. It's so awesome, yeah. Well, you have to love a not-too-distant future, a post-apocalyptic future, where uh, even after the apocalypse, we have this uh, very predatory for-profit healthcare system. Yay! Yes, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah. Can't now you're leasing, even the- <laughs> you're, you're leasing your organs. <laughs> That's disgusting, right? Sign here. Um, also, didn't they have to sign in blood uh, in in the beginning? Yeah, I, I was going to say, like, wasn't there a there? kind of a Faustian uh, yeah. deal made? Yeah. yeah, yeah, same kind of thing. Um, yeah, what what do you think of Repo? Oof! So we were talking about uh, movies that uh, lived or died with the songs, and man, this one I, this is not the style for me. Anytime in musical theater or whatever, they did this in the. In the Tim Burton version of Sweeney Todd, too, where they, like, are talking and the dialogue becomes kind of part of the song, but it's kind of arrhythmic and it doesn't rhyme and it's kind of weird. And, you know, they would they do that a lot. And Paul Servino, uh, unfortunately, was mostly given that to do. 
I don't know. But when they gave him his operatic stuff, man, he it, belted it. Like, that was impressive. At, at the end there, yeah, exactly, on, on stage or whatever. But th- there were plenty of scenes where he's in the car and things are going. And, like, <laughs> it's sort of this amelodic thing. And I'm like, I I get it. I mean, for, for musical theater nerds, like, that's a that's a style. That's a thing. But it is not uh, not my style. That that was not uh, that was not landing up for me. Vermont, you want the world for nothing. Commence your groveling. Roti, your king is dying. Even Roti Largo cannot prevent this passing. Who will inherit Ginko or keep those vultures guessing? Was there any music in this that uh, stuck with you or, or uh, impressed you at all? Uh, the Grave Robber one you had uh, going there for a second there. Um, mm-hmm. That, that was good. That one was pretty good. Um, it was a good. It was a good story uh, song too. Kind of gave you more of the the feel of the of the of the movie or the world that you're looking at. You, you know what it was? Yeah, exactly. This one um, was really uh, pushing forward the plot in the songs more yeah. so than the other ones. I mean, the other ones, you know, the the plot was coming through on some of the songs, but like in the other ones, it was we're taking a musical break here. Um, you know a and there's like a maybe, you know, three percent uh, story coming through the music, but it's mostly yeah. just we're hanging out, rocking with, with, yeah. with Repo. It was no, no, no. This is the story. Pay attention, yeah. <laughs> Pay attention. Almost yeah. the entire time, there's like no dialogue that's not sung in a staggering voice that doesn't rhyme. Father. I don't want medicine. Oh, Marnie, I am so sorry. I have. Failed you, blah blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of, I kind of, I kind of see what you mean, but you're right. It is a style, right? Like this is a, a certain type of yeah. musical theater that that you do get. You get that kind of harmonizing, plain dialogue or plain speech. Yeah, yeah. And and it wasn't. Uh, it, it was just. I mean, if you can get into that, this is the movie for you. If you can't get into that, oof, it's gonna be rough. But you made it through the whole movie, though. <laughs> I made it through. <laughs> Good. I mean, I, I, they strapped me down like Alex, and we're putting, uh, you know, drops in my eyes to keep it open. But <laughs> I made it through. I, I I guess it's not too surprising then that this movie on an eight and a half million dollar budget made one hundred and eighty eight thousand dollars. Is that what you're? I I think you got those numbers transposed. Like on screen, man, it looked cheap. I can't believe they spent eight million dollars on this. So I don't know if this is true or not, but Darren Lynn Boozman, the director of this who directed Saw 2, I think, and Saw 3. Okay. Or he's a few of those. And he did the, the latest one, the stories of Saw. Uh, it was called Jigsaw or something, or I forgot what it was called. It was the one with Chris Rock. It, they did a, a requel just called Saw? I think so. Something like that, yeah. The Book of Saw. <laughs> Book of Saw, yeah. Oh, okay. And it was with yeah. Chris Rock. And he, he, he directed that one as well. Anyway, he's a pretty good horror director. Yeah. And he came out with this movie, and... It was like a really limited release. He did like a, a small thing in a few cities. I think Pasadena, Chicago, maybe in the you know middle America somewhere. He had a few um, in New York, and he just did a few small screenings of this to try to get it going, and never really picked up any any steam. Uh-huh. Like showed it Fantasia, and that was it. And one of the stories uh-huh. he told was that while he was shooting Saw Three, he said that because you know he had pretty much carte blanche 
to get whatever he wanted for that movie. He's like, I need a cemetery. Because Saw Two was a huge I'm hit or whatever. Uh, the well, the first Saw, and then he came and did. I think I think he did too, and it was mm-hmm. did really well as well. Mm-hmm. And so he had he was brought on again, mm-hmm. so he could be like, Hey, I need this set built. Can you fund this? Sure. So I need a cemetery built. That cemetery was never in Saw. He used it for this movie, and he used the set that he had the the production. Oh, company that's funny. Built. <laughs> yeah. So he used his, that money. For this movie, so this this movie would have cost even more if, if he hadn't uh, <laughs> exactly. billed it to yeah. Saw Three or whatever. It would have been nine full mil- nine million dollars <laughs> yeah, even. Yeah. Exactly, and they'd have probably made less. Yeah, it it's a shame because there's some cool people in this movie. I mean, him being the director, I thought, but you know, Anthony Head, obviously Paul Stewart, uh, Paul Sorvino, mm-hmm. um, and then Sarah Brightman. Who is you know the OG Christine on uh, in Andrew Lloyd Webber's Phantom of the Opera? Oh, I believe yeah, for the, for the longest run. She yeah, was, yeah, she she know, was the the, the Robo Eyes one, right, right, right yeah, yeah. Yes, exact Meg, mm-hmm. the uh, dead Meg or something, or <laughs> yeah, blind blind Meg, blind Meg, yeah, exactly. Um, I thought her stuff was great in the yeah. movie. I thought she did she did fantastic, but she also did a little bit of this when she would talk to people. Well, hi Shiloh. That's the thing is I. <laughs> I think everyone had to do that for yeah. all, like they weren't allowed to have sort of normal dialogue that they had to do that stuff. Yeah. And yeah, I mean Alexa Vega I it was mm-hmm. killing me the entire I was like who the hell is this? And it was like uh-huh. okay, she was in Spy Kids or whatever the first one. Yeah. Or, I mean sure I'm sure she was in more of them, but that was the only one I saw. No shy. There were these bodies. You missed your medicine and fell unconscious. They were all dead. Nonsense. Please be more cautious. You could go into shock. But it was real, Dad. I'm the doctor. And I'm your father. Didn't imagine this. Please, Shiloh, drop it. Couldn't have fathomed this. Please, Shiloh, stop Dad, it. Dad, I can smell the death. You could have died. You, you scared me to death. It had this, like, look like if... You had ever been to like a film festival or seen a student film in the sort of late 2000s, this gauzy look, because you couldn't get the the difference from the, the background on a green screen and then the foreground separated super cleanly, um, a lot of low budget movies would then put this like gauze on it and it sort of like really helps that that green screen look but you know the whole movie kind of has this you know you, you feel like you get cataracts yeah it reminds me of those plugins those old red giant plugins there was like you could just put on one of those luts or whatever it was and it would just kind of give you <laughs> yeah. this blown out yeah overly saturated look too and god right it it, it was like they downloaded a you know uh, off of LimeWire, like like the the lut <laughs> pack for you know uh minority report and they're like, you know what? That's what that's what we're going for. And it put it on. Yeah, it's like <laughs> yeah, uh. just just put it over the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, like, aesthetically, um, it was it was it was really hard to look at. I agree. Yeah. And some of, some of those N sixty four graphics of the city or whatever, you know, kind of looked like a. It was, it was giving me these like screensaver vibes. Yeah. What was kind of cool was that you know with the comic book thing in the beginning, and the sort of motion graphics in the comic book, it felt like they were trying to to marry those two styles having the um yeah to go from live action to you know um these kind of storyboarded you know motion graphic comic books and then having this you know kind of uh janky computer graphics in between um and, and it 
it all felt like it was it was a part of it, but like I just I don't know. Uh, aesthetically, it was it was falling flat for me, and um, yeah, yeah, it, it was it was it was pretty rough. Uh, but it it was you know, if you haven't seen it and don't plan to, based on my uh, <laughs> my negativity on it, like you know, it it just it it had this like um, look and feel like uh, like a local theater troupe put it on the Matrix or something. It was like. You know, sort of, sort of lots of leather and uh, the long coats and things. Yeah. Um, the Paul Sorvino's children uh, were really, uh, you know, chewing the scenery. It's Bill Mosley. Or one of them is Bill Mosley, I should say. Was, He's uh, from Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Was he the one with, uh, the, with the face uh, clipped on? No, that was, that's Ogre. Or, uh, that's okay. He's the guy from Skinny Puppy. Um, well, the, well then Kevin Graham Ogilvie. Okay. So the, the um, the Bill Mosley guy then, then, yeah, like he was the one really chewing the scenery for me. I mean, like he was out chewing, uh, Paris Hilton, uh, for, for right. my money. It was, it was wild. Uh, well, cause I don't think she came, came to act or do anything in this movie. I think she came to show up and did her lines. I don't think she really kind of, but, but I don't is, think she I mean, has it, the chops, right? They, they were putting her in horror movies this time right she was in house of wax and she was in something else Um, yeah i think she was trying to do the acting thing at this point yeah scream queen thing specifically yeah yeah exactly exactly but yeah bill bill mosley's from like uh you know um devil's rejects and Mm. house of a thousand corpses Mm. texas chainsaw massacre 2 he's great um but yeah this is not his his forte by by any means where the fuck is dad brothers he left me in charge sister i don't take lip from my slides my brother and sister should Pommy, fuck. shut the fuck up i don't know man I, I i was aware of this movie and i had i remember the poster and i remember seeing it at the time or sorry seeing the poster not seeing the movie but like um yeah, I, I didn't realize that um, it was doing a roadshow thing that, that didn't work out, and it kind of just came and went. Because, I mean, I, I was definitely aware of it. It was, it was, it was wild. I mean, I, I knew it wasn't my cup of tea, uh, you know, going into it, but like... It was a small local theater production yeah. that got real popular. Oh. Um, Darren Boozman met with the guys that put this thing on, and he made a short film with Shawnee Smith, who's in the Saw films, and she was in, like, old 80s movies back in the day. Mm -hmm. And she played the... I think she played either the Shiloh character or she played Meg's character, and she was doing a few of the songs, so that's how he got the funding for it. But, yeah, the movie never really took off. I mean, it obviously got panned by critics. It's not very good. (laughs) But what's interesting is that at this time, this movie came out, it was 2006. Seven? Yeah, I I thought it was 2008, but, but you know it could be like an indie release, so maybe. Yeah, so 2008, but then in 2010, a movie called Repo Men comes out with Jude Law and Forrest Whitaker about two guys that are repo people that mm-hmm. go and repossess people's organs for from. So yeah, it, it wasn't a remake of the. Um... The car the, movie? Emilio Estevez, Repo Man? <laughs> no, no. No, Repo Man. The, the, it was a ripoff of this movie. In 2025, advancements in medical technology have perfected <laughs> biomechanical organs. And this corporation known as the Union 
goes and repossesses them. Wow. It's like the same exact story. When I, when I heard that, I was like, wait a second. Did anyone not see this, this thing come out before? This repo, the genetic opera. And then all of a sudden, maybe they're like, we need to give this a shot with Lee Schreiber, Jude Law, and Forrest Whitaker and see if it works, <laughs> you know, with some real actors. Did, yeah. I mean, I guess. Isn't that wild? Maybe because, uh, yeah, it, it, it didn't do well. They're like, yeah, I'm sure we can rip it off. No big deal. <laughs> they're, probably, they're probably like, oh, I've never even heard of it. You know, yeah, that's wild. But the, the Rizzas in this movie, you know, like this, I, I, this is the movie I wanted to see. Repo Men. Repo Men. Yeah. There we go. I, I guess in 2025, uh, when when we're doing our, our the future is 2025 uh, films, we could do that one. Coming up soon, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just around the corner. <laughs> do we have any 2023 movies we could put on that I don't on, know. on the list? I was surprised we we found. Somebody 2022s. Let me just reassure you that our credit department will find a plan that fits your lifestyle. He'll sign it. Everybody signs it. But what they don't tell you is if you can't pay the bills, some union man will break into your house and reclaim our property. I can pay. Sorry, that's not my department. I, I did have to, to bring up, since you said that, you know, some of the talking and, and musical theater yeah. part of this wasn't your, your bag. I, I remember um, when this movie first came out, I was like, oh, this is, you know, pretty cool. Did, now, did uh, you, you know, see it on the roadshow or did you see it on its No, no, I, I just rented it uh-huh. uh, when it was released on digital or DVD at the time. Yeah. And I remember I was like, I told my our, my friend um, Grant, he's like, oh, what, what, what are you watching these days? And I, I named this one for him. And I'm like, oh, it was interesting, you know, this repo, the genetic thing. He's like, oh, okay, cool. He goes, he texted me later or he called me the other, uh, the next day or so. And he's like, yeah, I watched that movie, that movie you suggested. I made it for about five minutes. And he's like, I turned it off. He's like, not my thing. And I, I was kind of hoping that I was glad you made it through the movie, but I was, I, I kind of felt like this is the same situation Oof. that you went through. I, it, it was, it was rough, man. I, I have to say like yeah. I, at one point I like, uh, paused to, to refresh my drink and uh, looked down, and there was only an hour and twenty four minutes to go. <laughs> <laughs> to be totally honest with you, I did the same exact thing. I, I swear, I was watching. I'm like, oh, this isn't so bad. We must be getting close. There was still over an hour left. Yeah. I'm like, wow, we're not even, not even skimming the surface here. I, I mean, that's the thing. It's like you know, I, I think you know, mention that on, on Phantom of the Paradise. It's like some of the aesthetic choices on that one, I, I, I wasn't super into uh, on on, yeah. on Phantom. Um, but because of the music and everything, I it was sort of propelling me through it. And, and this one, like, I just wasn't getting into the music, which is which has made it, made it yeah. that much harder uh, to sit through the uh, aesthetics that uh, weren't landing for me. It makes the movie, right? It makes the rock opera. You know, you, yeah. you don't have things that come out of Rocky Horror Picture Show and, and they, you know, all of a sudden that movie's played every every day for the last 50 years or 40 years or whatever right, it is, you right. know, and you're just like, wait a second, what what made that so good and, and why isn't Repo being played? Um, but I guess Tim, it is. Tim Curry wasn't uh, singing while he was swallowing Brad's dick. It was, uh, <laughs> he, he could just deliver his lines. I thought that was so funny. <laughs> That's so good. He just, there's like no care in the world. Frankenfurter just seduces everybody. Like it's just it's horny aliens but here to, here on here on Earth just to fuck people. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like Repo doesn't have that kind of personality, right? Like it's missing that whole like uh, like staying power that that these other movies have. It's missing it's like, the the sense yeah. of sort of fun and adventure that the other two had. Yeah, and like exactly. Um, 
There's no fun in this movie. I think some of those things were supposed to be kind of fun of like just, you know, him breaking through the wall and seeing the huge pile of bodies and like there's like the the guy talking about the drugs and the, the that song which was okay. Yeah. But then they they sort of went sort of full opera and wanted you to feel the tragedy uh right. of these stories that you weren't super invested in. Meg losing her eyes and all that was very very operatic. It was very operatic. It was very gross. Uh but yeah, I it didn't have the punch because I, I was I was already kind of right. really tuned out. I mean, and and frankly, I would have been more like your buddy and uh, and, and probably turned it off. If, no, it's a, it's a good if, thing if we I have to, to do this show, man, because you wouldn't have gotten through that movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That it's been a really short conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Zytrate comes in a little glass vial. A little glass vial. A little glass vial. And the little glass vial goes into the gun like a battery. Again, it was like one of those things where, you know, you see this movie and you see the cast and you're like, holy shit. Like Anthony Head, he was on Buffy the Vampire Slayer and now he's on um, Ted Lasso. He's like the, uh, the oh. villainous football uh, owner, football club owner. Oh, that's him. He, he's like the ex-husband uh, or whatever of yeah, exactly of the who, yeah. who runs the team. The oh, owner. Okay, right, right, right. Okay. Um, so he's like a really great actor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He, he too, I was like, God, what the hell do I know him from? And I, I kind of perused this thing i was like yeah buffy that I, I, I wasn't me i didn't watch that and i was like ah. it said you know he did a bunch of nescafe commercials i was like okay i don't know <laughs> i don't know what i know him from you don't remember him yeah. from the nescafe commercials <laughs> where he's drinking coffee that one yeah <laughs> you saved my life the other night <laughs> the dinner party the coffee very successful how can you ever thank me i'll try and think of something well cool um i think we did it we did it we did it. Brian, the show is over. We're still talking. What do we have next week? Can you tell the folks at home? Should we rate our movies? One through three. <laughs> I can tell your favorite was not Repo. <laughs> it is three. Yeah. Uh, man, I did like a lot about Phantom of the Paradise, um, but I'd probably have to give it to Rocky Horror for, for the number one slot, mm. Phantom of Paradise. Mm. And then, you know... About a light year back that way would be uh, Repo Man. <laughs> In fifth place out of three is yeah. Repo. Yeah. yeah, Rocky Horror definitely, I think, kind of, it, it has built and it has maintained the template for what the, the rock opera should be. And I don't think that has, it's been, it hasn't been overtaken yet. Yeah. Nothing else has even come close. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it it's going to be hard at this point, too, because there's like such a high bar now. And, yeah. and and again, like just the Tim Curry thing, it's like it. Yeah. Even if nothing else in the movie worked, like you'd you'd still be sort of hypnotized by that. Yep. And uh, it's unfortunate that not all these movies had that person in the movie, Tim Curry. Um, but one more thing, and I had no idea about this until I started looking things uh-huh. up. There is a sequel or a remake to Rocky Horror Picture Show oh. that came out in 2016. Okay, 2016. Oh. And Laverne Cox plays. Uh, Frankenfurter. Oh, huh. And uh, does she uh, blow it away the way that uh, Tim Curry does? I don't know. We'd have to see it. I have not seen it, uh, but uh might be interesting. You know, it's funny. When I was looking up Jessica Harper, I was like, God, what the fuck do I know her from? Outside of Suspiria? Was, well, it, it wasn't clicking with me that it was her. And then I was like, okay, mm. got it. But she was in like the direct sequel to Rocky Horror Picture Show, which... Uh, was called Shock Treatment, I think. Uh, that was yeah. in the 80s. Uh, 
And uh, but then I guess they did a remake or a, a third film with Laverne Cox. I think it's more of a remake of Rocky oh, Horror okay. or the, a the original. Sh- oh boy, shock treatment is <laughs> like she plays the, the Janet character. Uh, Jessica Harper takes over Su- Susan Sarandon's role in Shock Treatment. Oh, right on in Shock Treatment. Yeah, which I have never even heard of this until you brought it up. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I I only stumbled across it because I was trying to figure out what I knew her from, and it wasn't Shock Treatment. Never even heard of that. Wow, this, this show, man. Hello, I'm Dr. Cosme McKinley. I'd like to tell you about a new film from the gang that gave you the Rocky Horror Show, Shock Treatment. All right, this was a lot of fun. Next time we'll be uh, talking even more fun stuff with home invasion films. Yeah. That sounds nice and nice and yeah. comforting. Yeah. Uh, we're going to be talking Wait Until Dark from 1967, Straw Dogs from 1971, and Hard Candy from 2005. Uh, we have a guest on for that one, is that right? Yeah, uh, this is, uh, I think, guest programmed as well. I mean, I, we're kicking around awesome. a lot of... Uh, a bunch of different ideas and this one came together uh and uh i guess we'll find out how uh unsafe being at home will be and what's kind of nice about this one is i think it has various types of housing whether you live in the suburbs in the city or in the country nothing is safe no one's safe yeah. No one's safe. Just a sweet Alright, thanks so much for listening. Please make sure to subscribe and follow us on all the podcasts and social platforms at the Grindhouse Institute. And if you really want to give us a boost, check us out on Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. It helps us to get noticed. Thanks so much, everybody. We'll be back next time. Ciao. And crawling on the planet's face, some insects called the human race, lost in time. Lost in space.